0: I'm, a bit, I'm like my granddad in this. I'm a crier. <laughs> well, I'll be honest, I watched Inside Out and cried my eyes out. Uh, I, I'm a crier when it comes to films. Uh, my granddad's the same. Granddad will be watching uh, you know, Coronation Street and someone will drop the hot pot on the floor and he'll be like, oh, he's, dying. he's, in, he's in tears. It's, uh, it's not, not a good thing. But um, you know, stories, they make, they make us feel something, don't they? They, they teach us something about ourselves. They, they inspire us to more. And throughout this series, we're going to hear real stories, stories that live. See, these are people's real stories. Everyone in this place has a story. And as Christians, our stories are wrapped up in one story, the story of Jesus Christ, the story of him living the perfect life, dying and rising again so that we might know him, so that we might be set free and saved. See, that story is a story that's lasted for 2,000 years. That is the ultimate stories that live. And our stories are found in his story. So, this morning, without further ado, I'm going to invite Pete and Debbie to the stage. Let's give them a massive round of applause. (laughs) Here we go. There you go. Thanks. So, (laughs) Debbie wants to just shout. (laughs) So, we've got Debbie and Pete here just to avoid any confusion. Uh, But, you know, let's start with the real deep question, Pete. We heard about your heat stroke yesterday. Um, Bit of a bad day, mate. We had a party last night for a good friend of mine, and and Pete couldn't make it because he had heat stroke. Oh, let's, you know, (laughs) cool. Oh dear. So tell us about it, Pete. Tell us about the heat stroke. Yeah, thing. so um,
1: I have a friend who who signed up to this British military training thing on Wollaton Park. So I thought I'd support him and go along, a free trial. Um, and they, I do free quite trial. a lot of running. And they, they were asking me at the start, they got two classes. They got the main class and then they got the beginner's class. Now I should be a beginner, uh, but they asked me, do, do I, I do a lot of running? So I did a 10K run not long ago. And the guy came to me and was like, I really want to put you in the main group. So he put me in the main group. <laughs> and I nearly died. <laughs> I, I, I literally was on my knees wanting to throw up yesterday in that surging heat on Wollerton Park. And it knocked me out for the rest of the day. And this morning I've just been leading worship, but my, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got home and I couldn't even lift a knife and fork. So, yeah. <laughs> this guy's a trooper, let me yeah. tell you. So unfortunate. Is Jared here tonight? No, I don't, don't know. know. Oh, I missed this party.
0: There you go. There you go. Debbie, Debbie's got a lovely tan, as you'll notice. You've been to Mexico, Debbie. Ooh. How was it?
2: It was lovely.
0: I think so. <laughs> Is it on? Hello. There we
2: yeah. go. You're... Right. Yeah, it was absolutely lovely, Josh. It was... To be honest, it was a dream. It's been a dream for years, you know, but it turned into reality. And, yeah, two weeks we spent there. We did everything. I come out of the comfort zone. It was absolutely fantastic. We went from sky riding to snorkeling to driving my own speedboat, hiring oh, yeah. uh, buggy cars out. It was brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Nice.
0: Well, you, you've not done my trick. I tend to go on holiday and put about a stone on <laughs> because uh, I, I eat so much. Oh, I see yeah? that. well,
2: Josh. I can yeah. assure you.
0: <laughs> you carry it better than I do, obviously. But this morning, we're going to, you know, apart from these really deep questions that we've just been talking about, um, we're going we're to get into the complexities of, you know, some of these guys' stories. And um, they've both got unique stories, very different, I think, fair to say, different backgrounds and different situations. But this morning, I, I just hope that you can be open to what God wants to say to you through their stories, because I know that both stories uh, independently have impacted my life as well. So I just ask this morning, just be open to what God's got to say and to teach you through their stories. So, Pete, we'll start with you. Um, I'd just love to know a little bit about your background, really. Just tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah,
1: well, uh, I'm from Ilkeston, yeah. born and raised in Ilkeston, always lived in Ilkeston. Um, got Christian parents. I've actually had a very um, godly upbringing, I would say. I'm very grateful, and I thank God, and I don't take it for granted, but I've got parents that pray for me uh, and are very strong in their faith, um, very tenacious and uh, i 'm really grateful for that. Um, that said, I mean actually, this is my original church when it used to be at, at Crichley Street up the road when I was when I was born, and I came here till about when I was about probably eight years old, I think, <clears throat> and then uh, my parents moved and went to queen Street Baptist Church and I actually ran away from that church, so I did actually run away from church <laughs> but i didn't run away i didn 't run away from god i didn 't run away from my beliefs. Um, I think I was just a young kid, and i just didn 't I got to the age when my parents said, you don't, you don't have to come if you don't want anymore. I think I must have been about 13 or 14. And I remember like going and sitting in the, in the uh, Sunday school. And like halfway through, the Sunday school teacher got up and walked out. And <laughs> I made a bomb for it. I ended up running back home. And I was like, I'm never going back there again. It really You've evolved. always been a runner. Uh, yeah, what... <laughs> yeah, I've always been a runner. That was it. That was my calling. Um, so, yeah. But I didn't, I've never turned my back on my faith. I've always had my faith in God. Uh, because I've seen it displayed in my parents' life. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think you, yeah, you do come to a point where you have to have your own faith and you, and you do start questioning things and then you... Yeah, but I'm grateful for the upbringing. I've had I've been really blessed. Yeah. Great. Debbie, just, again, tell us about your background. Give
0: the guys a bit... Well,
2: a, I was sense. brought up in Ilkeston in uh, Cotmaney all my life. Uh, lived with uh, my mum and my dad, two brothers. Uh, my mum had two children later on in life. Uh, but while I was growing up, i just got two brothers, uh, our household was very, very dysfunctional. Very dysfunctional. My dad was really hard. He was hard on my mom, on us kids. Uh, so you know, my dad taught me things. Really, that when I look at our Phoebe, I, I, it just alarms me. Uh, you know, how to fight. Uh, I had no respect for the police. I had no. Well, I had no respect for school teachers. I got excluded from school at eleven. Uh, I was self-arming from the age of about 12. So, it just all things just went. was just... I was really broken before I got to the age of 10, I suppose. Uh, got into things that I shouldn't have got into from 13 onwards. Uh, got, into, got into drugs at 19. Met a guy that was nearly double my age. Uh, I had a son with him at 18. Then, obviously, that didn't work out. That was off and on for years. But then uh, I met another guy that I married at 24. That was just a very stormy... It was a very stormy marriage. Because of my upbringing, you see, I didn't want anybody controlling me. No man, nobody. So, uh, so to speak, I'd want to wear the trousers, so to speak. So, I was very violent. I was very angry. So, uh, I'd... Anybody, men, women, I'd hit them with things. If there was gangs, then I'd go, I'd face first one in there. I'd I'd just I'd hit them with anything, with hammers, with, you know. Uh, so we was like, I used to think it was untouchable because we had certain members of the family that if anybody went to the police, even if they'd had an hospital trip or they was going to take it to court, then doors were kicked off and it wasn't going that way. Uh, got into, uh, with my husband, we was dealing drugs, we was on benefits, money was tight, we wanted to give the kids everything, so we dealed drugs. Starting with Class B drugs, but then we got greedy. The money was good, but we wanted more money. So we went to Class A drugs, which was things like heroin and things like that. So a lot of my children, when they was growing up, our house was very dysfunctional. So the police bused in the house, searching the house for drugs, searching kids' toys, all things like that. But to me it was normal because that's how I seen things as a child. It was just all all normal. Uh, so it was like us and the police. Yeah. So uh, but then you know, obviously things happened but you know, that's all I can tell Josh about.
0: Yeah, that's wow. great. That's great. Um Deb, I'm gonna ask you straight away actually. So, obviously, in that, you talk about the dysfunction. You talk about some of the hurt. You talk about um, everything that was going off. What, what led you to God in the midst of all that? And
2: right, what it was, uh, October of 2004, we went to the hospital. Arby got diagnosed with liver cirrhosis. He was told that if he didn't stop drinking, he'd be dead in six months. So, we just carry on living the way we live in. To, to us, it was just, you know, uh, oblivious. So, come April of 2005, a week before Arby died, you see, for you to understand, I knew there was a God. But when God got mentioned in my house as a child, it was, your wish to God you were never born. Yes, yes. That's what I used to get. So, uh, so, I mean, like Jesus was just a play at Christmas, yes. so to speak. So I didn't understand anything, I didn't know nothing, but I got one Sunday morning, I just got the kids up, these little children, I says, right, we're going to church, and they all just look at you, you know. Corey, I will say, who's my, my son, he didn't want to come, he was having none of it. Uh, so we went to church, church, we went to Queen Street, and at the end I put my hand up to, uh, to get prayer, because I thought you'd got to be in a proper church to pray. So what I wanted, I wanted my husband to live. Yeah, yeah. I wanted my kids to grow up and see their dad. Yeah. So we prayed. A week later, at 5 past 3, early hours Sunday morning, Arby died. Uh, we was with him, me and his oldest daughter, and it was a horrible, horrible death. It was horrible. So anyway, you walk out of hospital and you think, right, that's it then you know, where's this almighty God, so I just carried on doing, you know, me drinking, and dysfunctional, all that, went to church a couple of times, uh, then there was a, a thing that happened, I was absolutely paralytic on vodka, but I wanted more drink, because I, I, Josh, to be honest, I didn't care, I'd got these Kids, I just had to explain that the dad had died. It was heartbreaking for me. I was absolutely broke. I mean, I was broken before, but now I'm doubly broken. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I've got to bring these kids up and explain and get them through all this grief. Because previously, our Brett's dad died at eight. So I'd been through it, you know, before. And I just didn't think I could angle it. So as I'm coming along Cockney Road, I thought, right, I've screamed anyway. I've screamed for God. Yeah. I've screamed for him. If you're there, you'll help me. You will help me. Yes. So it was like my hour of need, and I cried out to him. Yeah. Uh, a young girl that was coming to this church at the time was coming along Cockney Room. She's pulled up at, at side of me. Well, because I was drunk, and because me being me, I just took the mick. Yeah. I thought, oh, God sent me an angel. Yeah. Right then, where do we go from here? Well, anyway, she gets me in the car, and she talks to me about Jesus for about an hour and a half, wow. you know. Uh, and I walked into my house, I tipped the vodka down the sink, and that was it for me. Wow. So, you know, I just took the kids, and we all just... been going. It's been hard. It's not been easy. I mean, somebody that comes from the background, I come from the insecurities that I've got. I never trusted anybody, and I alone trust God, and giving him things, you know, when I was feeling bad. But I did, and I just, you know... I, I just worked through it. I'm still working through things now from, you know, from childhood and things like that. But compared to to Brett, because how I was brought up, because I was really violent, extremely violent, that I brought my son up the same way to look after himself. So he ended up, because of all that, he ended up doing a three-year sentence. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, it's just, it was just all a mess. But I, I stuck it out, Josh. I absolutely stuck it out. And I love God. I've got a relationship with him. Yeah. And I, I, I lean on him. Anything that, because I've had uh, two children that's messed about with drugs. And I've gone to pieces and I've not known what to do. But I've leaned on God. He's got it through. And, I mean, God even gave me a 5 bedroom house years ago when I was third on the list. And it was impossible for me to get it. That was through prayer. So, it, it's been absolutely amazing in my life. You know, so...
0: I'm the worst person to do these things because I told you I'm a crier (laughs) earlier. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to hold it together. Um, That's amazing. And uh, for those people who know Debbie, you'll know that um, I I just don't see that person anymore, you know. Um,
2: Well, sometimes people do find it hard to believe when, I mean, you know, when we started doing food bank, I was interviewing people that I'd ate. And they'd come in and they'd take one look at me and they'd probably think, oh. but then when they got talking to me, they could see the change. Do you know what I mean? They could see it and they do, and they see it now. In both, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just that, you know, I mean, I've had to deal with a lot of shame. I've had to deal with a lot of it. Yeah. But what's done is done, Josh, and it's not, not what's behind us, it's yeah. what's in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so.
0: One of the things I love about this as well is not just the change that's happened in your life, but um, Phoebe, uh, Debbie's youngest, uh, comes to, to universal Our youth ministry, obviously, Corey's in church as well, and, and the other guys are around at times as well. And, you know, Phoebe on a Friday night, she's one of the first on the front, lifting her hands, praising God. Um, you know, and that's... Amazing, isn't it?
2: Phoebe has had, she's had like the church upbringing, hasn't she? Yeah. Where is Brett once, once said to me, Brett, I was taking him to work and I've got to say this, he, he got out the car then he poked his head back in and he says, Mum, I wish have had been like this when I were a kid. Yeah. Do you know? And that broke my heart, that did. Yeah. And I turned around and I said to him, well, I, I, I am now. Yeah. To, you know, to yeah. talk to you when you've got yeah. anything wrong, it's just, yeah. you know, we're, we're here. Yeah. And that's it.
0: This is, um, this is the power of story or, if you've been around church, testimony. Um, Because people can say, you know, when people talk to me at work or wherever I may be about God, um, I don't tend to talk about the theological side. I I say, um, this is the Jesus I know. Um, This is what's happened in my life. And you know what you can't discount is what's happened in Debbie's life. And, And this is a testament, and this lady here is a testament and testimony of God's grace and God's mercy. And when you abandon yourself to God, when you give yourself to God, what he can do in you. Pete, we've not forgot about you. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Pete, tell us a little bit about um, your journey with God. Told us a little bit about running away, how all that happened. Running away? What well, you church. said about running away from church and a bit from God and then, and then yeah, you yeah, know, finding well, God again.
1: Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I ran away. I didn't go to church for probably about three or four years. And then I got invited by a, an old friend um, back to, like, Eastwood, AOG. And I went there for about sort of seven years. And then I, um, and it was great. And then I, I came, <laughs> I might as well just get straight into it. Because, um, like, the reason I, that brought me to this church, um, basically i 'm trying to I need to sort of say it right, but I think for me it was when I was, when I was twenty one I think everyone it doesn 't matter what how strong you think your faith is or, or what you believe what you brought up to believe as a, um, as a child you 'll always get your faith will always be tested, and, and, and you always say that you 'll get to a point where you 'll face something in your life and you 'll have to decide do I trust and do I believe what, what i 've brought up to believe, or do I turn my back um, and it was all right, you know, it was all very well me having a, a Christian upbringing and, and growing up in the church and everything uh, and having parents praying for me. But then um, I faced my, my thing was when I was uh, just turning 21. Um, I, had a, I had a lump in the side of my head, uh, just right here. I don't Sorry, guys, I'm not looking over here. I <laughs> back to you all. Uh, I had a lump in the side of my head and I had it for like a few months. I'm not really a hypochondriac, so I didn't really go and get it checked out. But then after a while I thought, I need to get this looked at because it's not going away. Um... And uh, I got all these like lumps as well in my uh, in my neck as well, and went into the doctors um, and uh, they sent me straight to hospital to get me checked out, um, and they had to uh, run these tests on me. Basically, um, they took. I had all these lumps in my neck. I was getting all these hot sweats in the night as well. Um, and they they ran all these tests on me. They they had to have an operation and have one of the lumps taken out. And they sent it off for a diagnosis. They said um, that I might have cancer, um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And if anyone's ever heard of that, um, and for me that was kind of a real, really hard thing to hear. I remember sitting there in the uh, when, they, when the doctor told me I might have it before I had to go and have the operation. Um, and I can remember driving home from from uh, the hospital with my mum. And my mum was like saying, because I was holding it all together and my mum was saying, you know what, you can cry if you want to cry. And I was like, no, I'm all right, I'm absolutely fine. Um, I dropped my mum off. Um, and then I went home and I rang up the pastor of the church at, at Eastwood, because that's where I was at the time. Uh, Ray Graham, his name was. Um, and I prayed with him on the phone, and as he was praying with me, <laughs> I think I might have hung up on him. Um, I, I broke down. I literally exploded. I was on the hallway floor, and I just found myself on my hands and my knees, and I was just punching the floor. And I was just saying, "God, I don't want to be ill. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to go through this." Because they were saying that I was going to have to go, you know, if I got it chemotherapy and all that kind of, and they were going to make me ill and everything. And I was, I was really, really, really desperate. And I was just absolutely broken. I'd never been so wrecked. And i have not even been diagnosed with it yet. I'd just been told that they might have it. Um, and I just found myself lying there, just completely depleted. And then literally, it's insane. But the presence of God filled that hallway. Like I have never... I can feel it now when I talk about it. Um, it's undeniable. It wasn't like an emotional thing where, oh, you're just letting off steam. I literally felt the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, come and sit down next to me and put his arms around me and say, you're going to be all right. And I was absolutely, I was, I was gone from being, and I went from being absolutely devastated to filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, super confident, because the Holy Spirit said I was going to be all right. So so I did what anyone would do. I went up and I went back to work, like literally there. I just had this like encounter like with God and then got up and went straight back. I was working at Toyota up the road. Um, And you have to remember as well, I had a boss who was an atheist and we always had debates about God and stuff. And she didn't believe and and she always let me know that and stuff. And anyway, came back in uh, to work and she knew I'd been for these checkups and stuff. And was like sat there typing and stuff. And she was sat next to me and she was like, was everything all right then this morning at the hospital? I was like, yeah, I think I've got Hodgkin's lymphoma. Silence. Keep them typing. And she went, you do know what that is, don't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I've got cancer. I've, I've got to go and have an operation. I said, I've, I'm just confident that I'm going to be all right. And she was like, okay, fair enough. Um, and then, anyway... I mean, John T. Bayliss, I think most of you all know, he was, he's really been a really close friend of mine for ages. And he'll know because he walked with me through this. But in the meantime, when I had the operation and I was waiting to get the results, I was so full. I was so on fire for God. It was ridiculous. I was opening the Bible and, and things were just leaping out. And it, was, and, it, and it dawned on me. It was kind of like flipping out. You know when you hear about people being persecuted or people going through stuff and you think, why do people go through stuff? Why do people go through stuff? And sometimes I think, God's just knocking. God's just right there. Do you know when you need him? And he's like, he's right there. Um, and sometimes he takes us through stuff and that draws us to him, um, which was certainly happening for me. Now, am I going on a bit? I don't know if I'm right. So. <laughs> um, but my mum was absolutely tenacious in saying, you are not going to have cancer. You are not going to be ill. You, you, she was praying that I wasn't. And I was kind of like, you know, okay, well, you know, I was confident and I was... I was having a really good time, which is, which actually, side note, this is the reason why I came to this church. Because I was getting all puppy dog eyes and sympathy off everyone at that church, I kind of wanted to get away from that because I didn't feel like that. Everyone was sort of feeling really sad for me and I was on top of the world. And, and literally, my mate, my mate John, he, he invited me to come. And then all these churches were praying for me. And I came in and I sat at the back right over there. And then Christian Thorpe got up on stage and was like, right, we've got a prayer request, everyone. We're praying for this, uh, this lad, uh, Peter. Um, he's, uh, he's been told that he, he, he might have cancer and da 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 And I sat at the back going, hoo, hoo, I'm actually here. And they don't know. And then literally, Christian goes, Pete do you want to come out and come, son- I was like, what, so like, my first experience of this church was standing at the front here with the whole church reaching their arms out and everyone praying over me, and what I didn't realize was that Angela and Keith, they're friends of my mum and dad, they'd seen me walk in, so they'd know, and they'd told Christian, like, oh, flipping clueless, I was like, whoa, <laughs> um, but it was amazing, um, anyway, I got a phone call um, from a guy, a very godly guy, um, and it was Psalm 112, 7. He will not fear bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And this was the day before I had to go and get the, the, the result, the diagnosis. And I had been all kind of confident that I wasn't going to get it. Because the Holy Spirit told me I was going to be all right. So I was thinking, yeah, okay, I'm going to be all right. I was confident that it wasn't going to be cancer. Um, and then I got this message. He will not fear bad news. His heart is steadfast. And then suddenly it like, dawned on me, I thought, bad news. He will not fear bad news. And <laughs> I mean, that was a bit of a prophetic word. And anyway... I went back to hospital to get the results from all the tests that they'd done, and uh, I remember walking into this room, and they had, all these <laughs> they had all these student nurses there as well. There was literally probably about 12 to 15 people in this room, um, and there was the ear, nose, and throat department doctor. There was the guy from the haematology department, um, and uh, it was actually Dr. McMillan, the guy who founded them. It was actually his son. Um, but then I remember walking in, and as soon as I walked in, I saw this counsellor woman sat at the back, and I knew, I thought, she wouldn't be here if I ain't got it. And I remember sat down and told me, sure enough, they said, look, we, we, we've got, we diagnosed three people a week with this, we know what we're looking for. Your spleen's enlarged, the lumps in your neck uh, are like, they're about an inch, they're, they're pretty big. Um, and uh, the hot sweats, because it was November time, and I was getting really hot sweats. I was waking up in the middle of the night, and it was just like wet, my bed was, it was... That sounds really bad. <laughs> sweat, sweat. He wears nappies <laughs> now, guys. He's okay. He, he sorted it. it. Um, but yeah, and, um, and it wasn't just like a regular cold or anything because I'd had it for a while. And uh, yeah, they said, sure enough, we need to get you in and start chemotherapy. And they gave me this book about everything that I was going to have to go through. My mum took it out of my hand and she was like, you're not reading this. We, she didn't want me to know what it was all about. Um, and she, she kept me from reading it. And then, literally, they wanted to get me in. I think that was on the Tuesday. They wanted to get me in on, like, the Thursday, two days later to start chemotherapy straight away. And then I went through from the ear, nose, and throat department to the Queen's Med to the hematology department. And I was literally standing in this queue of people waiting to start chemotherapy. And then, literally, the Dr. McMillan guy came out and and grabbed me. He He took me to, like, one side and he said, look, we've been having a look at your test results and something's changed on your scan. And uh, very man, all these churches praying for me. Um, and he said, "We need to do some more tests on you." So I had to wait another two weeks because something had changed. Um, and they they sent off everything, all the results and everything. I had to wait another two weeks uh, to come back. And they said that my my spleen spleen wasn't enlarged as it as it previously was. The lumps had gone down. All of a sudden, they, they weren't like as big as they were. They were now like a centimeter in size. Uh, and <laughs> the thing is as well, they never took this lump out here, and this lump gone null, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, and uh, I went back two weeks later. I had to wait for about four hours in this waiting room for ages to go in with this doctor to sit down with him for him to say, look, we can't really explain exactly what's happened. You had cancer. We knew what we were looking for when we diagnosed with you. We'd get three and four people a week with this you had cancer, you've not got cancer anymore. Amazing. Which was Amazing. insane. And, like... Amazing. My mum went mental. My mum went <laughs> absolutely mental at the doctor. And she was saying, this is... This is she was just started witnessing to the, to, the, to, the, to the doctor guy. And it came out, we was walking through the Queen's Medical Centre, it was absolutely packed, and my mum were dancing around the corridors. Absolutely dancing. And then she gave me the chemotherapy book that, that she didn't let me read. And she was just like you can have a look at that now if you want. And I was like, I don't need to. And I just remember like, launching it and throwing it in the bin and just thought, and it was amazing. But what I will always say, right, is because a lot of people say, oh, you know, how do you know it wasn't a misdiagnosis? How do you know it wasn't just like a cancer scare and all that kind of stuff? And I was like, do you know what? I believe it was a healing because I know in my own body and stuff. But I understand where people's arguments might come from, right? But for me, it wasn't that. It was the hallway floor. It was when I was crying out on the hallway floor for me, was like, even if I'd have gone through all that, and it had been a misdiagnosis, and it had been just a cancer scale, whatever, th- that hallway floor experience, when I was breaking down, <laughs> was just, that, that were it. And, and it cemented it for me. That, like, I've had... I've gone through church life. I've gone through seasons. I've gone up and down, like we all do. Do you know what I mean? We all struggle. We all have questions. Why do some people get healed? Why do some people not get healed? Da, 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 da. But I can't deny that experience, yes. and I believe that's why some, sometimes God, you know, touches people's lives and stuff. He gives people um, experiences that they can't, they can't question because they'll always question. Do you know what I mean? They'll always say, "I can't." But what about that? You know. Uh, and for me, yeah. Sorry, that's quite long, but no, yeah. no, that's good. I
0: mean. Look, let's give these guys a massive round of applause. Guys, thank you so much for being open, for being honest with us, for being real with us. And I know, well, I know I've got something from this morning, so I know other people will have as well. So guys, take your seats. Let's give another round of applause. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. The band are going to come up. But what I find interesting of Pete and Debbie's story, and this is not something that we've talked about before, it's just, just now, is that when they were at the weakest, God was at his strongest. And, um, you know, when I, I see and hear stories like that, I think, you know what, God, you did it in them, you can do it in me. You know what, God, you a miracle in Debbie's life, a miracle in Pete's life, you know what, God, you can do it in me. I know you can. And that's what we're supposed to take from this morning. You know, if you're struggling, you know, if you're hurting, you know, if you're going through something at the moment, don't try and carry it yourself. Don't try and deal with it on your own. Do what Pete and Debbie did. They cried out to God. Well, it could be anywhere. It could be in your bedroom. It could be to your friend. Cry out to God. Say, God, you know what? I'm not actually strong enough. I know I've been trying to do it on my own. I know I've been trying to do it in my own strength. God, I'm not strong enough. I can't sort this out. But I know that you can. And I throw myself into you. My little boy this morning, he, uh, <laughs> he ran into my arms and he fell into me. And I was thinking, isn't that what we should be like with God? You know, when we're weak, when we're struggling, just fall into him fall into it, come to him with arms raised, hi, God, I need you, God, I'm struggling, God, I'm weak, I need you to intervene, just bow your heads for two seconds, I'm just going to, just going to pray for us.